Okay, so it's uh, the 2nd of September, 2019. Um, I am downstairs uh, in uh, the office slash playroom of my home. And it has been roughly four years since I last published a podcast. I uh, can't believe I'm, I'm sitting here about to do it again. Uh, a lot has happened. Uh, maybe we'll we'll get into some of that over over the course of the next several podcasts. Maybe we won't. But uh, one way or another, um, I'm going to bring you 10 episodes, uh, all of them concerned with a wonderful book that uh, I read a long, long time ago, and I'm presently rereading uh, to record it in audio form as a gift to a very good friend. So, uh, yeah, uh, enough talk. Uh, let's get into the show. Hey, it's in a book. I am Lawrence Rouse, your host. I am coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, you are listening to It's in a Book. This is the official podcast of the BFBCR. Uh, please see our website for a full explanation of that, of that acronym. Um, so yeah, um, It's in a Book used to come to you uh, fortnightly, uh, mostly, um, and it was kind of a standalone podcast, but uh, a lot has gone on in the uh, in the intervening four years since it's in a book was, was first introduced. And uh, just to make uh, a long story that I'm sure we'll revisit over the next 10 episodes of It's in a Book uh, Shorter, uh, I am now a member of a, of a really wonderful book club, a group of guys uh, who all get together once a month. Uh, read a book we, we talk about it we enjoy some some good food and some uh, good beverages and uh, um, we uh, recently uh, brought our website online and I thought it might be a great idea to uh, to get the podcast going again as a, as a part of our effort uh, to, to explore books and uh, and uh, I, I just really kind of wanted to a way to get those old ep episodes back out there and and to bring you some new episodes now um as as a part of, of the whole new episode thing uh, i have a really really good friend um who uh, now lives in austin texas uh and we we have uh, very very uh similar birthdays um not quite this, the same day but same month uh, same same uh you know 10 10 digits uh um as far as uh the date and uh <clears throat> excuse me um he I've, I've wanted him to read this this book uh for a very long time it's, it's called the spook who sat by the door it was written by sam greenlee uh, way back in 1969 and uh he uh, recently told me that he, he really doesn't have time to read it right now and so i am going to prepare the book uh as an audio uh submission i guess or not submission but an order of recording rather uh in in order that he can can listen to it on his commutes uh etc which is uh kind of if, if you ever listen to some of the early episodes of the podcast uh the way the whole podcast began um so um the spook who sat by the door by sam greenlee 
it's uh, I'm, I'm not really gonna talk about it a lot I, I kind of want you to uh, kind of get a sense of it uh, on your own um, but I will say that um, Sam Greenlee wasn't a, a person who, who kind of set out purely to become a writer he, he was uh, uh, a member of the United States Foreign Service um, and he wrote this book kind of as a result of some of the experiences of his life uh, growing up in the, in the Foreign Service and, and growing up as a, a, an African-American uh, in, in this wonderful country of ours. Um, I am going to read a little bit about uh, his bio for you um, just to kind of get you familiar with, with Sam and uh, and then we'll head right into our interview this month. Um, so uh, as far as current events, uh, I am reading uh, a book right now by Carl Nosgaard or something like that. I'm really going to destroy the pronunciation of his name. It's called My Struggle. I think it's six volumes. It's very much in the tradition of uh, Proust's uh, In Remembrance of Time Lost or, or however you say that. It, it's... Uh, it's translated from the French. Um, I have read the first three volumes of, uh, of Proust's 11-volume novel. Um, I know there are people who read Proust and, and love it, enjoy it. Um, there have been sections of it that I've enjoyed, but, but by and large, um, it, it's one of those things that, that maybe I'm reading it just to say I did. Maybe, maybe the parts of it that, that have really uh, spoken to me and, and stood out, and, and there have been some of those keep me, keep me coming back for the torture, but uh, I'm hoping at some point it's really gonna, gonna wake up uh, for me, or, or at least wake something in me that, that makes it more enjoyable. Um, I'm, I'm kind of stalled out on the third book right now, but uh, it is what it is. Um, Nosgaard's My Struggle, on the other hand, um, although very similar to Proust, uh, is, is a little, maybe because it's more modern, maybe maybe I'm not struggling with, with the language as much, um, but, it, but it's a little more compelling. Sometimes it's really, really compelling. And, and it's interesting as well to, to think that someone would attempt uh, what he's attempting. Um, you know, in, in, in the present day. Um, of course, I am reading a novel, or I think we actually chose a historical fiction, uh, or no, no, not even a historical fiction, a uh, history uh, for, for this month's uh, selection from the BFBCR. Uh, I'm not going to be able to remember the exact title right now, but it is a book about Teddy Roosevelt, I believe. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it there whenever we close out. Because uh, that's kind of why why I'm here again doing the podcast is, is the BFBCR. Um, so at any rate, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and read you a little bit about Sam Greenlee, and then we're going to head right into uh, the interview for this month's episode of It's in a Book. Okay, so uh, Sam Greenlee, uh, is it okay if I call him my man, Sam Greenlee? Uh, hopefully that won't offend anybody. Um, he, he's definitely uh, a very interesting fellow, and uh, let's hear a little bit about him. Um, so uh, Samuel Eldred Greenlee Jr., uh, as he was known to his folks, uh, was born on July 13, 1930. Uh, he was with us until May 19, 2014, and he was an African-American writer best known for his groundbreaking novel, The Spook Who Sat By The Door. 
Now, uh, The Spook Who Sat by the Door was first published in London by Allison and Busby. And that was in March of 1969. And uh, I guess it's important to note that that was uh, after having been subsequently rejected by dozens of mainstream publishers. Uh, The book went on to be chosen as the Sunday Times Book of the Year. Uh, And uh, eventually it it was made into uh, a movie of the same title. That was in 1973. The movie was directed by Ivan Dixon and co-produced and written by Sam, my man, Greenlee himself. Uh, And and the movie is now considered a a cult classic. So uh, Sam's early years in education, uh, he was born in St. Luke's Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. His parents were singer and dancer Desiree Alexander and railroad man and union activist Samuel Greenlee Sr. Uh, He grew up in a place called West Woodlawn and attended Inglewood High School. And in 1948, he won a track scholarship to the University of Wisconsin from where he graduated in 1952 with a bachelor's of science degree in political science. Uh, While he was there, he was a member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity and he served in the U.S. Army from 1952 to 1954, uh, eventually uh, earning the rank of first lieutenant. Um, and from 1954 to 1957, he did grad studies in international relations at the University of Chicago. Now, his uh, U.S. Foreign Service career uh, began in 1957 with the United States Information Agency. And he was one of the first black officials to work overseas. Uh, He served in Iraq, where in 1958, he won the Meritorious Service Medal for bravery during the Baghdad Revolution. And he served in Pakistan, Indonesia, and Greece as well. Uh, All that occurring between 1957 and 1965. Uh, So he stayed, uh, correction, he left the Foreign Service after eight years, but he stayed in Greece where he uh, continued to study from 1963 to 1964 at the University of Thessaloniki. Uh, I'm sure I murdered that. Uh, And he lived for three years on the island of Mykonos. Um, So it was while he was there that he wrote, or at least began writing, uh, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, uh, which uh, is the reason we're here today. Uh, So uh, without further ado, we're going to get into the rest of the podcast and uh, um, I'm really excited about it. So uh, here we go into the break. Okay, so for this episode of It's in a Book, uh, this the first episode of season two we are going to interview my son. His name is Holden Rouse. Say hi, Holden. Hello. <laughs> and uh, uh, he's he's hopefully as excited to uh, to do this interview as I am to interview him. Um, so for those of you familiar with season one, uh, we have five questions that we ask of every reader that we interview on the show. Um, once once the question is is out there, the the reader kind of controls the flow of the conversation. Um, but um, we will get into those five questions right now. Uh, we, we don't alter or edit them uh, based on a person's age, sex, color, creed, or, or, or anything else. Um, What's a creed? <laughs> a creed is, is just kind of what a person believes in, like, uh, like their motivation. Um, 
So um, with, with that in mind, Holden, um, we, the surprise question that isn't on the list of questions that, uh, that I always uh, present to people before we start the interview mm-hmm. is, uh, is this. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Holden Maps. I was born in Washington State, September 2009. I don't want to tell you the day. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. Okay. Um, I like books. And I love playing outside. Um, I love football a lot. And yeah, pretty much it. Okay, okay. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, you, you read all five of the questions. Hopefully you, you've had enough time to, uh, to think about your answers. Yep. So we'll get right into it. Um, the first question, and I, I kind of know the answer to this, but the people who, who don't listen to the podcast, uh, or correction, who are listening to the podcast, yes. um don't know the answer, and that is, uh, how do you find the time to read? Well, I really just tell my sister to get out of my way, and I go into my room, and I just sit down and read a book. And I read a lot at nighttime, because we usually have to read for school, um, and my sister is asleep, and everyone's in their bed, so that gives me easy time to read. Right, right. Sweet. I know uh, as Holden has gotten older, he has uh, kind of gone off, and, and I'm sure anyone who has uh, children experiences the same thing. He'll he'll just kind of disappear sometimes, and, and he'll be off uh, by himself somewhere in our house. Uh, sometimes reading, sometimes watching. What, who are those guys you like? The uh, Link and Good Mythical Morning. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he's watching them, um, but uh, he he definitely finds the time to read, even though yeah. he's uh, he's pretty busy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Okay, so um, the next question is, uh, how do you decide what to read? Um, I usually just look look through a book and see if it's like the right level for me. Not too easy, not too advanced. Um, I like certain topics, like I like war and history. I also like fiction, like Harry Potter books. I like a lot, stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. So, do you are you running into the situation at school yet where you are being told uh, what to read, or, or do you all get to pick um, what you read? Usually, we get to pick, but yeah, sometimes the teacher will assign us a book. Right now, we're reading this poetry book called "I Love That Dog." It's about a little boy who does not like poetry, and it like tells about him learning poetry through poetry. Mm-hmm. It's, I like it so far. It's funny. Yeah? yeah? How much of that have you read? We just started it um, on Friday. It won't be Friday when this comes out, though. It's going to be a while. <laughs> right. But you started um, on this, this yes. past Friday? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Sweet. All right. So, um, so far, Holden hasn't had to deal with, with mom and dad, like, assigning him stuff to read yet like saying hey son i wish you read this book because i read it um but uh as he gets older I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll get into that a little bit and hopefully he won't resist too much i'll probably resist a lot though yeah oh oh man i'm sleepy even though it's drink it's, your coffee <laughs> okay okay all right so uh the third question holden is uh, something that I, i'm not sure if if this is super relevant to you yet um but we, we do have some digital readers here around the house. So um, the question is, how uh, like your preference for books. Do you like to read paper books or do you like to, to read uh, digital media? Uh, you, you have an iPad. I know you, yes. you read on there sometimes. So mm-hmm. what do you prefer most? 
Um, I usually prefer paper books just because, like, sometimes on digital you need Wi-Fi mm-hmm. to read it, and if you're like in a place you don't have Wi-Fi, it's good to have a paper version. But I do read on my iPad a good amount for like if there's a book I don't have. I'll go on my iPad and look it up, and I'll just read. It usually lets you read like 30 pages of it, and I'll read those. Hmm. Just so I'm like, kind of know what it's going to be. Right, right. So. Yeah, I think Amazon has like the, the preview feature. Yeah, and so does Google. And Google does too. Uh, sometimes nice. I do get books digital just because sometimes it can cost less for some reason. Right. Like with Big Bad Ironclad by Nathan Hale. And one of his books are right there. Um. But I have that on my iPad just because it was only like three dollars. As if you you got it in the store, sometimes it'll be a little more. Right, just, right. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe because you can bring it. Well, plus you can get it right away. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know what's interesting, and I think there was a actually a lawsuit about that um, mm-hmm. because there's like a little bit of price control when it comes to digital books. Yeah. Um, and I think it had something to do with like shutting out the publishing companies, like the, the people mm-hmm. who have kind of made the the um, industry of books what it is today and, and there, there's a fear that they'll be shut out of like this new yeah. digital revolution even though it's it's pretty much already occurred mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think I, I actually got a couple of free books out of that because I had purchased um, digital media that mm-hmm. uh, had been priced controlled for whatever yeah. reason so cool Okay, so uh, the next question, Holden, is what is your favorite book? And uh, uh, I know that's always a hard question, yeah. but uh, what? Tell me, tell me, what's your favorite book? Um, so the one I'm reading right now, I won't say because that's a question later. But I feel like I'm right now. It's this book called Spy School Go South by mm-hmm. um, Stuart Gibb, mm-hmm. and. I feel like after I read this book I'm reading right now, I could potentially like that one more. But I really like this one I'm reading right now. Or I finished. I also really like the one I'm reading right now so far. I've read this one before. <laughs> but you're, you're giving it yeah. another try? That was a long time ago. My dad read a lot of it to me. I was like six. Yeah, you were pretty young. That's when, when I used mm-hmm. to read you. Uh, Chapter to, to bed every night, yeah. 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 Sweet. Okay, well, um, I guess that is gonna gonna land us at the mm-hmm. last question, which is which is really a good thing because yeah. I, I think we're headed over to the uh, North Carolina Museum of Art to walk the dogs, right? Mm-hmm. With Aunt Kimmy. Yeah, yeah. Sweet, sweet. Okay, so um, what are you reading right now, Holden? So I'm reading for the second time, or partly second time, because my dad read this book to me a while ago. <laughs> But Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm working on the first chapter. Almost finished with it, and I read it some in my class. Oh yeah, my classroom. Um, and then I'm reading it at the copy we have at home, and it seems like some of the wording is a little different, but I, I kind of like um the way it is now a little more probably than then. And I read it on started it on Friday. So I started that on Friday too. And um, I like how it's going so far. We still have not seen Harry Potter though, or I haven't yet. I think they're about to deliver him to the um, Dursley's door. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you're you're at the part before yeah. he before he actually shows up. Yeah. In the novel. 
the next chapter it's gonna be him getting sent off to Hogwarts and all the letters flying. Right. Yeah. Right. Sweet. So you, we were talking about this earlier, and you mm-hmm. said something about um, the the title of the book being oh, different. Yes. How, so, how, how did that work out? Tell me. Uh, when it was first being written, in the first like a hundred copies, they weren't called the Sorcerer's Stone. It was called the Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. And and then for some reason, maybe because it's like it's more of a fictional. And sorcerer kind of matches the wizardry element in Harry Potter. Um, she changed it to sorcerer stone, and now if you can find a copy that says philosopher stone, it's worth more, a lot more money than I think it's worth like so two hundred dollars maybe. Right. I read right. it in this book called The Book for Boys, which is also re- no only for boys only. It's also a really good book. Right. Sweet. Yeah, it's a bunch of little facts. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, things that are rare usually. Yeah. It cost more yeah even when they're not mm-hmm. always really rare if you can if you can make people think that something's rare yeah, there's not you can many charge more left. for it yeah there's and in this case those are actually yes. rare right yeah sweet. sweet and also with the harry potter's whole series um when jk rowling or rowling i forgot how to pronounce her last name was going to publish them mm-hmm. um the, uh, like most people said no because they thought it was too long Right. Kids wouldn't enjoy it, but Ooh, were they ever wrong? Yeah. You, you know, it's funny, Holden. That kind of ties in to uh, the book that we are covering for this episode. It's called "The Spook Who Sat by the Door." Yeah. It was written by a guy named Sam Greenlee, and it was rejected by every publisher in the United States mm-hmm. because people. Um, they thought no one would like it, um, and, and it was different. It was kind of a different reason. Uh, it's not long like uh, J.K. Rowling's uh, mm-hmm. books, but it was it was controversial, and so um, it was rejected. But it but it actually um, went on to enjoy some success, and uh, mm-hmm. and and for the people who know about it, it's kind of uh, uh, the movie and the book itself has a cult following, so to speak. Mm. So. And I feel like they did a good job transferring the Harry Potter books into the movies. Like, when my dad was reading me um, the Harry Potter one, my envision of the cat... What's her name again? The cat lady that turns into the human... Professor McDonagall? Like, McDonagall or something? I think it's McDonagall. Maybe. Yeah, but something like that. Um, it, and then when I saw the movie, it was just like what I had envisioned they were looking. I feel like they did a really good job with that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I so the long before you were born, son. I I went here at uh, the IMAX theater downtown to see. Uh, I think it was the very first Harry Potter movie. Um, if not, it was one of one of the other ones. It was kind of a big deal then, though. But I, I saw. I think it was the first one. But uh, I just remember being fairly pleased with uh, with the job they'd done of yeah. translating it to mm-hmm. to the big screen, which which people don't always get it right. One thing I thought was kind of funny, but also pretty cool, is the scene where um, the kid that always like fails at potions and stuff, when they were practicing flying on the brooms, mm-hmm. and the teacher um, says, um, "Just hover." He goes flying, and for some parts when he's going like going crazy, it's all animated. Kind of like, it kind of looks like a PS4 game almost. Right. Yeah. It, you can really tell when he, his cloak gets, or his cape-like thing, gets hung up on a pole um, in the castle, mm-hmm. and it re- you can see his face. It really looks like it'd be from like a 
game or something. Right, right. Well, back when when Dad saw it, it that was a lot more groundbreaking yeah. the technology to do that. But nowadays, it, like for you to watch it, it doesn't seem like yeah. such a big deal. So. Well, listen, buddy, we have to be at the Museum yeah, of yeah. Art pretty quick here, so uh, mm-hmm. we're going to wrap things up. Holden, uh, it was a wonderful pleasure to uh, to interview you, mm-hmm. and uh, you did a great job. I know. <laughs> you know? I'm okay. I'm humble. I'm very humble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, uh, we'll just, uh, I guess, uh, we'll sign off here. So, mm-hmm. tell everyone goodbye. Bye. And uh, next, we're going to get into uh, the first chapter of The Spook Who Sat by the Door by Sam Greenlee. Wow. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> All right, bud. Thanks. Okay. Love you. Bye. The Spook Who Sat by the Door by Sam Greenlee. Chapter 1. Today, the computers would tell Senator Gilbert Hennington about his impending campaign for re-election. The senator knew from experience that the computers did not lie. He sat separated from his assembled staff by his massive, uncluttered desk, the Washington Monument framed by the window to his rear. They sat alert Competent, loyal, and intelligent, with charts, graphs, clipboards, and reports at the ready. The senator swept the group with a steely gaze, gave Belinda, his wife and chief aide, a bright smile of confidence, and said, All right, team, let's have a rundown, and don't try to sweeten the poison. We all know this will be the closest one yet. What I want to know is how to close. Tom, kick it off. The campaign war chest is in excellent shape, Chief. No major defectors. Good. I'll look over your detailed breakdown later. Dick? I spent a week on Madison Avenue with both the PR boys and our ad agency. They both have good presentations ready for your approval, Senator. I think you'll be pleased. How do we shape up on TV, Dick? All our ducks in line? Excellent, Senator. You'll be on network television a minimum of three times between now and Election Day. Just about perfect. No danger of overexposure. Have you licked the makeup thing yet, Dick? Asked Belinda Hennington. A small detail, but it probably cost one man a presidency. We don't want that to happen to us. No sweat, Mrs. Hennington. Max Factor came out with a complete new line right after that fiasco. I think we'll be using graying temples in keeping with our maturity image. As we all know, the youth bit is out nowadays. Fortunately, with the senator, we can play it either way. Good show, Dick, said the senator. Harry? I've run the results of our polls through the computers, both the IBM 436 and the Remington Rand 1401. Lewis Harris gave us a random pattern sampling with peer group anchorage. Gallup, a saturation vertical syndrome personality study, and NORC, an ethnic and racial cross-section symbiology. The results check out on both computers, although I'm programming a third as a safety valve checkout. The computers have you winning the election, Senator, but by less than 3,000 votes. A small shift, and there goes the ball game. 
The senator, startled and troubled, glanced nervously toward his wife. She gave him a smile of reassurance. Do the computers indicate a possible breakthrough, he asked, with any of the peer groups? How do we stand with the Jewish vote? You're solid with the Jews, Senator. Where you're in trouble is with the Negroes. The Negroes? exclaimed Senator Hennington. Why, I have the best voting record on civil rights on Capitol Hill. Just last year, I broke the ADA record for correct voting on civil rights with 97.64. Our polls reveal a sharp decline just after your speech requesting a moratorium on civil rights demonstrations. If we can regain most of the lost Negro percentile, Senator, we're home free. No use crying about lack of voter loyalty. This calls for a think session. Perhaps we should have our special assistant on minorities and civil rights sit in, although I'm not sure how helpful he'll prove. Frankly, I'm disappointed by his performance so far. Judy, said the senator into his office intercom, think session in here. No calls, please, and cancel all morning appointments. And ask Carter Summerfield to join us, will you? The senator turned to his wife as they awaited the arrival of Summerfield. Belinda, I'm beginning to have serious doubts about Summerfield. He hasn't come up with a fresh idea since he joined us, and I don't expect anything other than tired cliches from him today. He's fine in a campaign, Gil. That's where he'll shine. I don't think you ought to rely on him for theory. Perhaps you're right. I guess it's not brains we're looking for in him anyway. No, she smiled. That's his least valuable commodity to us. The senator swiveled his leather-covered chair half round and gazed out at the Washington Monument. This question of the Negro vote could be serious. I never thought we'd ever be in trouble with those people. We have to come up with something which will remind them I'm the best friend they have in Washington. And soon. Carter Summerfield had sat in his office all morning worried and concerned. He sensed the senator was not pleased with his performance and could not understand why. Summerfield had sought desperately to discover what it was the senator wanted to hear in order that he might say it, and was amazed to find that the senator seemed annoyed when his own comments were returned, only slightly paraphrased. In all his career as a professional Negro, Summerfield had never before encountered a white liberal who actually wanted an original opinion from a Negro concerning civil rights, for they all considered themselves experts on the subject. Summerfield found it impossible to believe Senator Hennington any different from the others. He had spent the morning searching for the source of the senator's displeasure until his head ached. The handwriting was on the wall and Summerfield knew his job was at stake. He must discover the source of displeasure and remove it. Perhaps he should wear ready-made clothes. Had the senator somehow seen him driving the Lincoln rather than the Ford he always drove to the office? It was essential never to have a more impressive car than one's boss. He told all his newly integrated Negro friends that. Had anyone discovered the encounter with the white girl in Colorado Springs when he had accompanied the senator on a trip to the Air Force Academy? He had been certain he had acted with the utmost secrecy and discretion. But he had known even then that it was a stupid move, which might threaten his entire career. 
Summerfield took two jalousels and a tranquilizer and reached for the phone to inquire discreetly of his fellow integrated Negro friends if there was a word on the grapevine of an opening for a man of his experience. The phone rang. It was Senator Hennington's secretary summoning him to the senator's office for a think session. Smiling, as always when in the presence of whites, Summerfield entered the senator's office, his eyes darting from face to face for some sign concerning his present status. But the looks of the other members of the staff were no longer funereal, and the senator greeted him with a warm smile as he motioned Summerfield to an empty chair, briefly inquiring about his wife and children. It seems, Carter, said the senator, that we're in serious trouble with the Negro vote. Summerfield frowned in sympathy and concern. We must come up with a fresh, dramatic, and headline-capturing act on my part, which will prove to my colored constituents that I'm the best friend they have in Washington. He swept the room again with his steely gaze. Gary Cooper back to the wall, but undaunted. And we must do it today. Summerfield nervously licked his lips. How about calling a conference of the responsible Negro leaders to discuss your new civil rights bill, Senator? The Senator considered for a moment. I don't think so, Carter. To be perfectly frank, I don't think the bill will pass this session. White backlash. How about a fact-finding tour of the African countries, said Dick. No, I did that last year and still haven't kicked the dysentery I picked up on safari in Tanganyika. How about a speech attacking apartheid at Cape Town University, asked Harry. I don't think South Africa would grant me a visa. Gil, said the senator's wife, why don't we accuse the Central Intelligence Agency of a discriminatory hiring policy? Segregation in CIA? Yes, they have no Negro officers at all, mostly menial and clerical help. Are you certain, Belinda? This could be what we're looking for. I'm positive, but I'll check it out. We have a man in personnel over there, you know. Couldn't a charge of that nature prove counterproductive, Mrs. Hennington? Asked Dick. CIA is almost as untouchable as the FBI. Not since you two on the Bay of Pigs. And this should prove an irresistible combination for the press. Cloak and dagger and civil rights. I'm inclined to agree, Belinda, said the senator, who was usually inclined to agree with his attractive wife. What's the best way of springing this thing for maximum impact? Why not at the Senate Watchdog Committee hearings? Asked Tom. But the hearings are closed, said the senator. It wouldn't be the first time we've used closed hearings for a press leak, Gil. I'll brief Mark Townsend over lunch here in the office on the day of the hearings, said Belinda. Excellent, said Dick. A political columnist of his stature is perfect. Now how do I play it in the hearings? Indignant? Angry? Or do I underplay? Dignified, I think, Senator, said Harry. You're shocked and saddened that the agency, in closest grips with the forces of godless communism, is shackled by the chains of racial prejudice. Right, said Tom. You say that America must utilize the talents of its entire citizenry, regardless of race, color, or creed, in the Cold War. They'll deny it at first, said Belinda. Then probably claim their personnel files are classified. 
but they'll back down when they get enough negative press coverage. They're very image conscious nowadays. Carter Summerfield sat looking interested, but carefully silent. Advising the senator how to criticize other whites was definitely not one of his functions. I can program one of the computers to provide statistics showing the increased efficiency of the armed forces since their integration, said Tom. If CIA does select a Negro, he'll be the best-known spy since 007, said Harry. Well, he will find it a bit difficult after all the publicity he's going to get, said the senator. You mean Gill, said his wife, the publicity you're going to get. The senator smiled. General, said Senator Hennington, addressing the director of the CIA, it has come to my attention that there are no Negroes on an officer level in the CIA. Would you care to comment on that? The other committee members looked at Senator Hennington with some shock. They knew he faced a close election in the fall, but this gambit was below the belt. The general, fighting to control his famous temper, replied icily, You know, of course, Senator, that our personnel files are highly classified. I'm aware of that, General, but this meeting is closed and we are all cleared for that kind of information. It's not true that we don't have any colored at the agency. Our entire kitchen staff, our maintenance section and drivers are all colored. My question, General, concerned Negroes on an officer level. Well, we don't have any colored officers. Do you think, General, that a policy of racially selective recruiting, which excludes a full 10% of our population, is a wise one? Yes. While I personally have no race prejudice, I feel Negroes are not yet ready for the highly specialized demands of intelligence work. Really, said Senator Hennington, smiling a smile of patronizing pity into the face of bigotry. It's a question of sociology rather than prejudice. A gap simply exists between the races, which is a product of social rather than racial factors. There are Negroes who have bridged that gap. If so, I would welcome them in CIA. I would suggest you make more of an effort to find them. Senator Hennington, said the committee chairman, in his rich, aristocratic Southern drawl, we all know that deceit, hypocrisy, duplicity are the everyday tools of our agents in the field. Much to their credit, the childlike nature of the colored mentality is ill-suited to the craft of intelligence and espionage. I'm afraid, Mr. Chairman, replied the senator, once again entering into the charade concerning race he had conducted with his southern friend for well over a decade. I don't understand what you mean by the colored mentality. There's the question of cover, said the general. An agent must be capable of fading into the background, adopting the guise of the person one cannot remember minutes after meeting him. Negroes in the field would be far too conspicuous. General, I'd rather not carry this conversation any further. I would appreciate a report in a month's time concerning the progress of the establishment of a merit hiring policy at CIA. The luncheon table had been trundled away, and Belinda Hennington and the famous political columnist Mark Townsend sat in the conversation corner of the senator's office, sipping brandy from large snifters. 
Both the senator and I wanted to give you an exclusive on this one, Mark, said Belinda. Thanks, Belinda. Are you sure this checks out? The government is supposed to be at the forefront in merit hiring. Not CIA. We're positive. I have a man at CIA. Mind if I check him out on this? Of course not. You can use an undisclosed CIA source in your lead. This could bring civil rights back into the headlines. It's been suffering from overexposure lately. You're right, Mark. The public is tired of the same old thing. Fire hoses, cattle prods, dogs on one hand, and singing, marching, and praying on the other. Civil rights could use a good public relations man. When will the senator make an official statement? I should guess after the wire services and television pick up your beat. About three days, I should think. Sounds about right. Where will you conduct a press conference? Right here. The Washington Monument makes a good backdrop for the television cameras. Almost a Hennington trademark. Townsend had left, and Belinda was sipping a well-earned scotch on the rocks when the senator returned. She mixed her husband a drink as he sank into the leather chair behind his big desk. How did it go today, dear? she asked. Couldn't have gone better, honey. I'm certain this is it. Yes, dear. By this time next week, we'll have the Negro vote wrapped up again. She handed the senator his drink and rested one sleek hip on the polished mahogany of the desk. Never take the voters for granted. Even Negroes react eventually, you know. I'd have thought the CIA would have been more alert on a thing like this. If they'd had even one Negro officer, my charges would have fallen as flat as your sister's souffles. If it hadn't been CIA, it would have been someone else. We're not likely to run out of institutions to accuse of segregation in our lifetime, darling. They smiled at one another affectionately. That November, the senator won his re-election comfortably. The Negro vote accounting for more than his margin of victory. And so comes to a close season two, episode one. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. I'm very, very excited about bringing you the entirety of the spook who sat by the door, uh, or in this case, bringing it to my good friend. Um, and uh, we all we all get to benefit uh, from from uh, his birthday in this case. Um, so uh, a couple of a couple of liner notes, so to speak. Um, I intend for now to make this a 10 episode affair. There are 20 chapters of the spook who sat by the door. So uh, attached on our website, bfbcir.com to each episode will be an accompanying chapter. Um, and in fact, you'll see the chapters laid out there consecutively, uh, 1 through 20, as uh, as I complete them and as the podcasts are complete. So expect to see uh, two chapters for each of the 10 podcast episodes concerned with the spook who sat by the door by Sam Greenlee. Um, what else? Uh, I mentioned earlier that I would, would go ahead and, and uh, discuss the, the next book that we are covering uh, at Book Club, um, and I am going to do that right now. That book 
I am pulling up our website on my phone. That book is River of Doubt by Candace Miller. Uh, it, it was chosen by uh, one of our, our illustrious uh, members, and uh, I'm really looking forward to reading it. Uh, I, I uh, was, was able to visit uh, a monument to the president with which the, the book is concerned, uh, a little known monument, in fact. Uh, and, and it's pretty, pretty awesome, the monument, and I'm sure the book will as well. So, uh, I'm going to close things out here in the interest of, uh, of time. I am very, very, very happy to, to be back on the air, so to speak, to be podcasting again, to be hosted uh, there on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, and to have the wonderful forum provided by my book club, uh, the BFBCR, uh, to, to get the podcast going again. Uh, in this case um, check us out there on the web bfbcir.com and uh, we will uh, see you for the next episode uh, one last thing we won't be really sticking to any sort of time schedule with these 10 episodes as I'm able to read the book as they are complete we'll get them up on the web uh, and uh, you can enjoy the book and uh the, the episodes as well if you have time if you don't have time like I said the chapters will, will simply be laid out there uh, on the web consecutively um, so it's in a book we'll see you back here for the next two chapters of the spook who sat by the door thanks for listening I don't know what's happening <laughs> alright so what's happening is dad is asking you who you most like to be read uh, to by. Uh, wow, that was a weird sentence. Do you like it best when mom reads to you or when dad reads to you? Mom. Mom? Why? Yes. I feel like she explains it better. She explains it better? Yes. But who reads it better? Mom. Mom. What? <laughs> no love for dad. Yeah. That shit hard. I said, my cranium is vibranium. My brain is um uranium and titanium. 45s who aiming them. Organize the stadium. Tell them, take cover. I warned you not to play with them. Them borderline war crimes, you gotta wait with them. Who came to save the day and brought the K with them? To read the people's chant from the equal team. Trying to keep it clean. Long as all my people solid dean. I've been in the music scene. Long as out of leads, making salaries. Still accumulating calories. Demonstrating how to breathe. Senegalese, Genovese. I've been a reason to freeze. Read G's in the league on my own. Getting cheese. I will hurt Hercules. I will murk most of scenes I'm the last one to show up The first one to leave the crime scene The I've seen Salam theme The ridiculous rhyme scheme The stick to the grind gene The hell with the hygiene It's a dirty bomb Word is 730 time Disaster level 9-11 meets 11-9 Catastrophe beyond incredible I redefine the seventh sign Fast hysteria, mass hysteria From Damascus, Syria to Middle America school Cafeterias and cul-de-sacs I told you that The boss is back You know what I'm
learned to code meets the Hippocratic oath Observing this whole circus from a diplomatic post My word and its whole purpose, a cinematic scope The earth and its whole surface, I consider that it's toast Savers, Sammy Davis, Belafonte, Quincy Jones Mahatma Gandhi, James Ball with Jesse Owens Running from a cop car, me and Akbar I changed from a rock boy to a rock star Hijacked the elevator to the top floor I'm taking everything that's left like a southpaw Crash and burn to learn through osmosis And watch the word spread like tuberculosis I took a snapshot but it hurt the post-it I had a black thought and they called it wokeness Overdoses, water bugs and roaches Forty cows and holsters all allowed and kosher Twenty thousand jokers, one ain't playing I'm Paul Brown, man-child in the promised land